Okay, I'm gonna turn it off then. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I had this one. Okay, uh, it's on. The, the first time I took uh, magic mushrooms, I had this one experience where I looked at my hand, and my hand started to turn super old and veiny, like an old person's hand. And then it, like, I could, I, I my body, I would look at my body, and it would start to age and decay. And it would like, and then it would go go back into young, and then it would turn back into like, like it was about to die. Um, so I start, I had like, I was literally tripping about the impermanence of my body. Like I looked at my body and I watched it age into old and veiny body. Like the head, like the skin became more like see through, and the veins became more obvious all the way until I could see the bones. And then I was just, and then that was like a direct confrontation with the fact that although I'm like very young and youthful right now, um, it's inevitable and it's only a matter of time that uh, this body is going to die and it's going to get old and it's going to get sick and die. So um, it's important to break the delusion of, um, of youth, youthfulness. What? I'm on, I'm I'm 25 right now. You are already dying. Yeah, I'm already. It's you're exactly dying. Exactly 25. Since, since the day you were born, you're dying. Um, 25. Around 25. You are more. Uh, um, the processes for building cells are less than what's decaying. So 25 is around the time where you officially dying right right and then also um there's a type of meditation where um you can contemplate like all the gross parts of the body that you don't normally think about so like you normally you think about your body like on the outer appearance of things and you think of like oh that's me and you think like oh i'm like either you, you think you're beautiful or ugly, either way, it's an attachment to clinging, but you didn't get into the nitty gritty details. Like you didn't get into like, you didn't contemplate like the hair and the hair follicles and the skin and the layers of skin and the, the bones, the bones that are within your muscles and all the oil of the joints and such and all the, um, all the organs, like all the disgusting uh, intestines and stuff, and all, all the facets of the body that you just don't normally think about. So like, um, I mean, I guess like, th this is kind of like a weird meditation, like, maybe it's not for everyone, but I, I found it useful to like, sort of dis dissect myself um, mentally, like I would go into like, every organ of the body. And like, um, not only try to visualize it, but also try to experience like, where is that organ right now in my experience with the body? Like, oh, let me try to experience the diaphragm. Let me try to experience the lungs. Let me try to experience the heart and the heart beating. And let me try to experience the intestines. And let me try to experience the liver or the, um, um, the kidneys, the kidneys as well. And, uh, um, every fiber of every muscle. So like, 
I guess this is kind of like a body scanning practice, but like it's more like I try to make it more of like a also death contemplation in the sense that like I I'm I'm like I'm really looking at the 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 human body as like for what it is, you know instead of like identifying as a self with it really it is it's a bunch of blood and a bunch of skin and a bunch of meat bags and like and organs and stuff like that so like if you actually dissect yourself like that mentally it's disidentifies you from it like naturally so like you see you see the body for what it really is is it's like a meat suit and uh if you can if you can uh there's kind of it's I, I find it kind of enjoyable, actually. It might be a little scary or gross, but like, it, it's a good meditation. And also, um, that reminds me of uh, the story of Ramana Maharshi, who um, he just lied down and he accepted that he was going to die and like accepted all the implications of that. And then uh, um, somehow that disidentified him from um, the mind and the body. and there seem to be not self, which is uh, freedom from uh, the clinging to your mind and your body. And uh, you're no longer concerned with the fate or the destiny of the mind and the body or what's going to happen to it because you see, you see the real nature of it. What is the real nature of what's going to happen to the body is it's going to die um so what happens in between the body right now and it dying is really not that important because of the ultimate destiny of it so um you're less concerned with like the 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 petty trivial um anxieties about what it's going to happen in the future because you already know ultimately what's going to happen in the future. So you're less concerned with like worldly affairs when you fully understand that you're going to die. So then uh, your, your interests will start to um, develop in a way that uh, is more conducive to um, the Dhamma or the path. So the, the, the freedom from um, um, death and birth, um, birth and death and the cycle of it. How, how do I escape the cycle? Instead of being interested in the cycle itself, you become interested in the liberation from the cycle of birth and death. And you can start to um, experientially see uh, how birth and death arises. And you can see that death is uh dependently originated by birth and they are ultimately go together they're two sides of the same coin um so so arising and passing away is another way to think about it birth and death um, um coming into being and passing and and cessation um emptiness and form so you you can see these two these dualities are dependent in nature on each other. And uh, when you see that experientially and profoundly, 
um, you can say that's seeing the Dhamma or seeing the truth. Um, and you see the truth, uh, you see the whole, the whole cycle of it, the whole structure and the whole dependent origination of it. Um, then you're uh, not bound by it. You're not uh, fooled by it. You're not, um, you're not hypnotized by the cycle and you're not, you're no longer on the treadmill of it, the, the hamster wheel of samsara, so to speak, of just running and running along of uh, craving and aversion, craving and aversion, pleasure and pain, pleasure and pain, um, uh, uh, gain and loss, gain and loss, all of these things, all the eight worldly wins um, is what uh, the opposite ends of, of, the, of the treadmill or the hamster wheel that you're running along on and instead of you stop you stop running on the hamster wheel because the more you run on it the more it goes it just has more and more momentum until you have to run faster and faster you stop and you literally get out of the hamster wheel because that's what's seeing the cycle of it all and seeing um the truth of like what's really going on behind the scenes so you're you can say it's kind of like looking behind the curtains of the play and seeing uh seeing the backstage of the play all the all the features and the, the so like the play is like a there's a bunch of like characters like built with like two by fours and um different puppets and like animatronics and stuff and uh investigating and looking how it really is is going behind the scenes seeing what it's actually made of and seeing it, uh, seeing the illusion of it, um, so then it's much less scary. So, uh, if if you're only looking at this life um, without deconstructing it, it without investigating it, and you're totally um, hypnotized by it, and you take it to be um, substantial, you take it to be permanent, you take it to be real. Um, then you're going to be, um, it's essentially like a little kid watching a movie, a scary movie, and it can't, the little kid can't differentiate the scary movie from reality. So they're going to be really um, terrified by the movie because they can't differentiate it. So like uh, spiritual adulthood is uh, similar to um watching a scary movie like you can enjoy how it's scary but you ultimately know it's just a movie um so it, it takes the kind of terror out of it um and it's much less scary okay. <laughs> i think that's the end of my little um spiel so if anyone has anything to comment or say about that please go ahead The disgusting thing reminds me of like you watch when when you watch porn and then you finish your act and then you're just disgusted by what you see, you know the genitals and everything, and you're sitting there in your filth, just like being disgusted by this human body. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. It's like kind of like a dispassion, a disenchantment. Mm. So like, um, to 
to find the true happiness or the true dhamma or the true nibbana, you have to become disenchanted with um, lesser lesser happinesses. So like um, you, you, if you think that happiness, if you still delight in like sensual pleasure, if you think that happiness is going to come from sex or it's going to come from um, any of the sensual pleasures or like worldly gains that you might get, or like you think it's going to come from money or you, th you think it's um, going to come from um, any, any phenomenal aspect or relative aspect of um, this human experience, then you'll continue, continue to be fooled by it. And you'll continue to be like, if you ever seen like a cartoon where it's like a dog and attached to the dog is like a hot dog with a stick holding a hot dog in front of it. And it's just like chasing after it. That's like uh, chasing after sensual pleasures. But if, if you, if you see, um, sensual pleasures as uh, illusory and uh, the prattle of fools, um, then you can, you don't, you become disenchanted with it. So you become disenfranchised with the normal uh, uh, mechanism of uh, seeking pleasure, um, which is what most is most of the motivation of um, humans and like what drives um, society. Um, regarding regarding the Eightfold Noble Path, what would you say is the one or two or whatever uh, most important qualities to be skillfully applied to really get this because I find in my praxis or practice, um, especially situations where the body is very present, uh, very much um, deconstructing wisdom because the pull is so strong. So what would you say? So, okay, well, let me try to understand this. The, your experience of your body is distracting you, per se, from uh, um, the investigation or the wisdom. Um, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Okay, so, um, uh, yeah. You, you 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 experience uh, cravings that are related to the body. So the body um, craves for sex, the body craves for food, the body craves for all these things. And then uh, essentially what you need to see clearly is that um, these are a product of biological mechanisms instead of identifying with it like, oh, I need sex or I want sex. You see what's really going on is the body has uh, evolutionary um, initiative to uh, crave, these, uh, crave these things because it's literally built into 
its uh, structure and its uh, functions. So, but again, like we said, um, what is the body really? If, if you see it clearly, it, it's not it's not what you are. So, like it, it's just a it's just a conglomerate of functions and processes that uh so like these cravings like I, I don't i don't think it's possible to stop craving food i mean if you eat less food you'll crave less food but ultimately you need to eat to survive and some say it's possible to stop craving sex in, entirely but i don't think that's realistic i think uh, it's just a product of just like craving food is it's just a product of the human body so instead of trying to repress these cravings it's better to just see them for what they really are and understand that um, the fulfillment of these cravings is not the way to satisfaction and or is not the way to happiness and it won't end suffering it will just uh it will just um create more uh it will just uh continue the process of uh, pleasure and pain um so like uh pleasure is born out of the end of pain and pain is born out of the end of pleasure so they just flip-flop so you, um um it's never truly satisfying whereas uh the the experience of the dhamma and the experience of the jhana and uh, the experience of nibbana um comes with with a sense of um uh finally satisfied so it's not it's not just like a um it's not like other other um pleasures it's not like other delights even if you have sex like and you say that's the best experience how long does that really last i mean not long for some of us right <laughs> so so I mean, what really good is that? I mean, how is that going to fulfill you? How is that going to satisfy you? It won't. You're just going to want more. You're going to eventually want more. But um, with uh, developing the right skill and the right practices, we can um, reliably enter into a state of satisfaction, enter into a state of not wanting anything. So. So all of these desires of the body is wanting something is actually what's making you suffer. Um, and and uh, even if you get what you want, the body gets what it wants, only very briefly and only temporarily are you satisfied. But uh, what is that satisfaction really? It's not getting what you want, but it's the cessation of wanting that thing that makes you happy. So we can directly see for a certain period of time. Yeah, and it's always replaced by some wanting something else. So if we can directly see uh, the mechanism of dukkha dukkha niroda simply being uh, wanting something and then stopping wanting that thing or stopping wanting something, we can see that if we can stop wanting anything right now, we can be satisfied and happy simply by not wanting anything right now. You don't need anything right now. You got everything you need. You could just sit here and not want anything. And that's uh, that's how to practice. 
the thing I how I understood is uh, it, when you said like wisdom gets like clouded. It's whenever I see the cloudiness in the wisdom, I know that there's some kind of judgment. Oh, this desire is bad. Oh, this desire is good. And then your mind kind of gets more cloudy because now you're placing like value on things. Now you're actually determining what, what is what is right for you and what is not right for you instead of allowing it to naturally unfold by itself. Like Scott said, sometimes you're hungry, some, sometimes you need to eat, sometimes you're horny, so sometimes you need to fuck. It, it, it comes down to that kind of level. In reality, you don't really need any of these things, but the resistance, it, what, what kind of holds them in your body the resistance not essentially not participating in them but the resistance of the mind the the judgment the the holding on to it, the clinging and the clinging arises from 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 that initial holding just keep 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 it holding as an object saying this is good or i should not want this or or even well, if, if it, it happens then you still hold on to it and you still judge it and you say oh i shouldn't have done this or or what the next desire comes, I probably should abstain from it or, or, or constantly like being vigilant about it can really cloud the mind as well. One of them is the level of uh, ordinary right view of I should not do this thing because society tells me not to, because my parents tell me not to, because the Buddha tells me not to. Um, but uh, the super mundane right view is on the similar tone to what Scott's talking about with the uh, uh, Asuba meditation or the, the meditation on the repulsiveness of the body. That uh, this is developing actual wisdom as, as to why these things aren't worthwhile. That's, um, that this repulsiveness, uh, one point about it is that the, uh, Scott mentioned this, um, that the skin, the first layer of the body, uh, is sort of uh, attractive in a way that doesn't need to be, right? It's sort of uh, the baseline of it is attractive. The baseline of a uh, female body uh, is, is attractive. There's liking there. The and, skin is sex. And if, you hadn't, if you hadn't your skin, you wouldn't have sex. And... We wouldn't be so attractive if it wasn't for the skin. So investigating what's under there, and that stuff's gross. And yeah. this came up when reading a, a Mahaboa book that um, I got at the Watt. Uh, that um, he talks a lot about this Suba meditation and the charnel ground meditation, where um, the monks watches the body. Uh, um, what's the word? Uh, falls apart. Uh, gets old, uh, the skin rots away, and it's just bones, it's just muscles. Uh, and this isn't uh, necessary. This is this can only be this is only beneficial when there's an unnecessary attraction to uh, the body, and it helps with that disenchantment and to see with wisdom instead of the ignorant uh, point of view, where that skin is beautiful. Uh, I want to go chase that skin. I want to kiss that skin. Oh, I love the skin. Uh, where if we see what's under it, there's a bunch it's of so muscle, creepy. tendons, bones, blood. It's not as yeah. attractive. 
An important point to make is that none of these things are inherently bad. So there's nothing inherently bad about having mm-hmm. sex. There's nothing inherently bad about enjoying food exactly. and so on. But what is inherently um, uh, what inherently causes suffering is the craving for these things. So the craving for sex when you're not having sex is dukkha, right? So, but there's nothing inherently bad about the activity itself. Um, but to realize the thing is, that, we think it's inherently good. Yeah. Ignorantly. We, we so we crave for it. The problem isn't exactly. the thing; it's the craving for the thing. Um, and uh, to realize that all you really need, uh, as long as you're alive, all you really need is, is this moment, is the breath. So, um, yes, you need to eat like um, at least once a day. Um, I recommend uh, the less the better. So it there it does mention in the suttas how um, the Buddha d- abstains from eating in the evenings, and he delights in the the well-being and the health from it and i, I do fat i do intermittent fasting every day and i and it feels great so i i try to eat like once a day um but um so i think there is really something to that but but when when you don't need food when you're not eating um uh to recognize all you really need is the breath and the next breath and that's what the body actually needs right now is the breath and so to bring that into your attention and to take a deeper breath and realize that the breath is enough. You can go the rest of your life without having sex. You'll survive and be fine. But you can't go one, you can't go, you can't go the next four minutes without breathing. <laughs> so like to like empty yourself out of all of these extracurricular desires and realize that, oh, all I really need is this breath right now. And I, and, uh, and you can come into a state of satisfaction because um, you will always be able to, as long as you're alive, you'll always be able to breathe. Um, so uh, uh, wanting what you already got and enjoying what you already got uh, is satisfying. And actually, um, the breath can be thoroughly enjoyed. So not to make a rule out of breathing meditation, not to make a rule out of, oh, I'm, I need to breathe uh a certain amount of seconds in and a certain amount of seconds out. No, like that's uh, missing the point, but to start to enjoy the breath and see that experiment with the breath and see, Oh, if I, I can, if I change the rhythm, like, Oh, now this breath is kind of more enjoyable. If I take breaths like this now and I, and I take a little, but even just thinking about how you're breathing is going to, um, lead to, uh, taking, um uh more more oxygenating breaths i guess like uh 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 how you breathe affects how the body feels directly so um whether what style of breath you're doing is really beside the point but uh the point is uh, to take uh, enjoyable breaths, enjoyable. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. So I, I've, I, I've recently been like going to all this like monastic, like Thai monks, like a lot of like 
Cambodian monks and reading a lot about them. And I find that towards like older age, most of them die from like diseases that are completely like preventable nowadays, like diabetes or at least like diet related. Like diabetes, psoriasis, like all of these diseases that are caused by like modern food waves or like by I don't know things and and they just did nothing about it they would just sit and think like meditation was gonna make make it go away or they just didn't care for the body like to sustain it but I found it quite funny because I I, I would assume like the, the spiritual health raises from the healthy body as well so why did none of them actually like really pay any attention to it or um, you could look at it from another point of view that the food was not that accessible or they would have to put a lot of effort in like providing for themselves and they would have to drop out their monastic life or teaching life in order to go provide for themselves. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm um, di diabe diabetes, heart disease, cancers. Um, cancer can happen no, no matter how healthy you are. Like cancer happens to children all the time, but um, um, the correlate the correlative studies show that um, cancer is diabetes, um, um, heart disease is related to yes the health of the, the body and the um, how how much you're eating. So, but this is more preventative. So if you already have cancer, already have diabetes. Um, um, yes, changing how you eat will help it, but um, you should probably seek professional medical care. But if you don't overeat and you stop overeating now, uh, you're going to be at a much lower risk of developing cancer later on, of developing heart disease later on, of developing diabetes later on. Not to say that you can't still get cancer, but uh, the the... The cor correlative studies show um, higher rates of these things happening um, with uh, with directly um, how we eat. So <laughs> um, we it, can also recognize that um, uh, medicine is good in many ways, but oftentimes uh, the death of someone who dies naturally in their home. <laughs> not on a respirator uh, of natural causes uh, might be more wholesome, more relaxed than the death of someone uh, who, uh, who is, for example, in Buddha Dasa's case, uh, flown to uh, a hospital while he's unconscious and put on a respirator and trying, being trying and kept alive. Um, that might be a less pleasant death then um, I think the situation was that he requested uh, that not happen, but he was unconscious at the time. Uh, so the government, and since he was so famous, it was went along with. But uh, a lot of times, uh, a more natural death would be more relaxing, more peaceful, just with your family around you and ah, without doctors surrounding you, trying keeping you alive, always about to die, his heart rate's, heart rate's flatlining. One... Uh, there are benefits that we uh, don't recognize when we're thinking about, oh, he survived three more years uh, in the hospital. Right. right. No, my question is like, uh, so a, my, 
a lot of them developed disease over 15, 20 years, but they didn't do anything when they were initially diagnosed. That That's my question. I mean, I understand that at a certain age, you're just like, fuck it. But <laughs> a lot of them developed disease in their 55, 60, like still plenty of time. Like the, the average age was like 80 to die. Like you still have 20, 25 years of actually like changing your lifestyle and 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 comp- and, 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 and still being healthy, but none of them actually partaken in any of that. They would just rather drop in three, four years from the same disease that can be prevented, but like they wouldn't do anything well, about it. Well, that's up to them. So what? who are we to tell them what they should or shouldn't do? Um, but yeah, uh, along the lines of um, what Parker said, um, you know, my dad uh, was diagnosed with uh, um, stage four pancreatic cancer and he died a couple months ago but um, at a certain point um, the cancer got to the stage where there was really no coming back from it like there it was going to it was just a matter of how long are you going to live afterwards but uh, uh, my dad really couldn't accept that he couldn't accept his own death so he he took chemo till the very bitter end and he 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 suffered greatly from increasing doses of chemotherapy um, all the way till the very end. When at a certain point, uh, what might be wise is to um, start to accept that this body is going to die. Stop putting the chemo and the poisoning in because at that point, realistically, there's literally no chance of going into remission. So uh, maybe the chemo keeps you alive a couple more weeks, but it's better to live um, your last days in uh, comfort and acceptance and in uh, resolution um, than it is to um, continue like keeping the body alive artificially uh, and just pumping stuff into it and, uh, you know, uh, doing all these things that might prolong the life of the body for a little bit, but it's at what cost, right? In at what cost? Uh, in, in regards to what you said before uh, about the monks, they should decide what they do, etc. I mean, I think Carl was just curious about maybe if there are studies, comparative studies about uh, the situation of monks and the ordinary population, Western Eastern. There probably are a few. I can't come up with one right now, but I think I see something in the in the back of my mind. Uh, maybe it comes up. Um, in the end, and this is where I think a lifelong practice is very beneficial to make this decision. If you are seeing yourself confident enough to make this, this to have this judgment power to say, okay, no, I'm not going to take any more chemo. I'm not going to take this, this, this anymore because this is like, you're thinking about the future in this moment and this is unwholesome. So it doesn't work that way. All this talking about those things 
for the person in that situation won't probably of much help as you probably want them to help with what you're saying. So I'm sorry, can you say that a little bit more clearly? I don't really, I'm not getting the gist of what you're trying to say. It's about what we talked before. The talk about those things seems very artificial to me because it's very, it's very intellectual, it's very phil philosophical. And even if you take science into account, statistics, uh, whatever, uh, studies and so on, if you are prone to intellectual behavior, if you're prone to intellectual thinking, this may be something for you. But who knows what happens with a person in, in the situation where the fear comes up and you, you feel, okay, this is it. Yeah, you know? so that's the whole point is that instead of prolonging the fear of death, uh, we're directly uh, facing the fear of death right now, directly realizing that this body is going to die. Instead of uh, postponing it and distracting ourselves from our entire life, until we're faced with, oh, now we are really dying. We look at we look at the fact of the matter right now that we're going to die, and so we we, we learn to um, face 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 death with wisdom when it comes, um, because we're not caught off guard by it. We're prepared. Um, so w w once you start handling things. Um, ha um, uh, once you stop living in ignorance and you start uh, handling things um, and harsh, harsh realities and uh, not not lying to yourself, not creating some sort of um, magical beliefs that's going to distract you from it or not, um, um, you know, most religion is promising. Um, most religion is based off the fear of death. So, no, we're going to look at the fear of death and realize that um, it if we can handle this moment, we can handle even our own death. So <laughs> it's a co completely different approach, you know, than most people are used to. Um, uh, most people don't want to think about the fact that they're going to die, but the fact is they are going to die. So would you rather uh, face death <laughs> af afraid and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and 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 scared, or would you rather face death joyfully, and leave other people with a smile, as Damarada says? Can you can you can you crack jokes even on your deathbed, and can you make other people happy? You bet. So, <laughs> I'll be I'll be with that. I'm, but I'm still I'm still like um, I'm 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 not questioning anything. I I completely agree with everything around death. What I'm not really getting is how somebody can be diagnosed with something and not to make a change in that particular moment, because that's the practice is to make a change. How long are you going to wait until you make a change? Like, oh, don't get me wrong. I think if, if, if anyone has a disease they, or a medical issue, they should seek professional help and um, do what uh, the professionals tell them to do and, you know, try to live there. They should, shouldn't just 
die on purpose, right? That's not what I'm saying here. Um, but I'm saying that thing about like albums taking taking talking about like taking charge of their own individual. We can establish, or we have established that uh, at a certain point in the path, someone has to let go of that uh, that uh, both craving for life and craving for death. That it's uh, whatever is is okay. Um, that one has to find other reasons for their actions uh, rather than the previous reasons of like what Scott was talking about with his dad is the self-preservation instinct, right? The instinctual wanting for life. Um, so why do we stay alive? Is it um, because it's easier that way? Is it because we think we will be of benefit for other people? And that's up to the monk's particular discernment of um, since the uh, since uh, if he was skilled in correct practice, he would be able to uh, discern that uh, fear of death, that uh, self-preservation instinct, and then come to other reasons. Is it wise to live or is it wise not to? And that might be I am not familiar with the Thai medical system like maybe he knows something I don't about that. Uh, maybe he's less educated in terms of Western medicine. Uh, there are many factors in terms to what makes up that monk's particular discernment. Uh, but what we can understand is that uh, most people don't want to die because they're scared of it. And now we have the uh, wisdom and discernment to have a wiser uh, relationship with death. So, so we can essentially still value the knowledge that we have in modern day or the, the knowledge of that arises in the in the present moment as far as like if you need to make a, a, a change and and you do have the knowledge to make a change it would be not wise to not make a change as far as like your help or 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 whatever we we don't know if these monks did have the knowledge or as you said or if they didn't have the knowledge of like the medical system the health the diets whatever it was was the case but it's still pretty interesting how like intellectual knowledge and, and, and science <clears throat> is quite beneficial. Not I don't want to say important, but I want to say beneficial to to us because it can it it can essentially not just in talking prolonging life, but I'm talking complementing the practice. I'm, I'm talking health wise. Health wise, like we we know that a practice tends to be. We can even see that scientifically that that's why they're doing all these studies of like mindfulness, etc. We can see that healthier bodies tend to respond to to meditation practices. Like it it, it goes together. It goes like hand in hand together. So it, it's pretty interesting because we didn't well, have okay. knowledge 50, 60 years ago, but now we can see that okay. So there might be something within the body, not only just the mind that you set your mind on on a certain point and you can free yourself from the self but the body plays a part in that as well in the Dhamma Vinaya uh, that's a, definitely so a few the points is... that are historically relevant and maybe it's time for a change and, and certain things yeah. this is probably a statement we definitely can make if there's anything going to change I mean uh Every almost every tradition has other uh, 
particular specifics and how they operate with the Dhamma Vinaya. I mean, if I think about Dalai Lama, he started to eat uh, meat again because the doctor said, please eat meat again because it's beneficial for your health. So who knows? Uh, something Carl said made me think of, uh, um, it's important to understand that the mind and the body are, are one system. So um, a relaxed body is a relaxed mind and vice versa. Um, so yeah, we should take care of the body because um, taking care of the body is the same as taking care of your mind. And uh, there's no one rule, right way to eat per se. Like it's not as if you uh, can't eat, um, need to make hard and strict rules, but there, there, there there's, uh, there's in general, there's common knowledge out there and there's uh, research about what, what, what type of food is uh, um, not good for you. So, um, you know, uh, saturated fats and uh, sugar and stuff like that, not to, to eat those in moderation, obviously. But uh, this, is a, this is a very interesting topic because I'm studying this now for quite some years. And especially those things with uh, uh, very light alcohol, alcohols, carbohydrate alcohols, or uh, with saturated fats and omega-3 fatty acids and whatever. If you really take your time for the, for the studies, it's 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 almost impossible to find guide, even guidelines, even very loose guidelines for what is a good diet if it's not embedded in the culture you're living in. And the culture is like good sleep, good people around you, good friendships and all that, uh, the blue zones and stuff like this. Um, if the, yeah. I think it's really interesting what Carl says because Carl makes a very good point. Most people try to uh, try to put away very fast with some explanation because I mean this is this is why we this is why we came to where we are now. This is why we can talk now here through Skype and things like that. Um, Intermittent fasting, for example, I mean, the Thai, in the Thai tradition, intermittent fasting is standard because of the Dhamma Vinaya. If you can only eat once a day and you have your arms round and then you have at least your 16 hours of intermittent fasting window, but um, there are so many more complex things. And this, this is what, where I think Parker comes in with a more uh, with a more Dhamma explanatory uh, uh, statements he makes about this is if you're really, and this is 
is especially also with the sex thing and so on. If you're really practicing this way with this right noble wisdom from the get-go, especially if you're only a child and you get this lifestyle, you have nothing to attach those fears to really. And maybe this is a completely different situation, especially for Westerners. I think maybe it's it's a different it's a different thing, and I think Damarato addresses this uh, also with with other themes a couple of times. That with the Westerners we have a we have a different a different source of clinging maybe a different source of how Paticca Samupada works in in this in this regard and my question would be if anyone has something to say about this uh, how we could approach this with what we are trying to practice here because I think this this will be this will be right now beneficial for us because we can we can do these changes now if we want to. And on the other hand, every one of us is going to die. And I don't know if it's if it's beneficial to to not consider lifestyle related diseases, for example. I think just, this to, just certainly uh, the, the first step is whatever we're doing is to get the mind in a wholesome state first and remove the hindrances from the mind, remove the fears of, oh, I'm gonna die, I'm scared of that, so I'm gonna eat healthy. That to find wiser reasons for it. That uh, lifestyle is easier if eating healthy, so why not, right? Take it or leave it. Uh, and considering the particular lifestyle, like uh, we're talking about monks, these they have a different lifestyle, they don't choose what they eat. They get offered the food and they eat the food they're offered. And that's up to the lay people what food they offer. Uh, it's part of the practice of generosity that you don't, when someone's offering food, say, no, I don't eat that. No, you take the food and you, you eat it. That's the, that's the lifestyle of the monks. And in fact, the, the death of the Buddha was because uh, it was related to him eating uh, some pork that someone gave him that wasn't very healthy. And uh, it's... Uh, there's a research paper on it. I'm not well informed enough about it to say whether it's true or false or to talk about the nuances, but some pork related illness, which eventually uh, led to his death. Um, this is talked about in the uh, Mahi Parabana Sutta, the long sutta about the Buddha's death. Um, so that um, the key is to first get the mind cleaned out, get the mind in a wholesome state. And then once we're seeing clearly, we can use discernment to choose how we live, to choose, is this food wise to eat? Is this food not wise to eat? And in the case of a monk, the boundaries are different. It's wise to eat what the person gave you in the sake of generosity and such, um, but or take what the person gave you. Uh, but as a lay person, uh, we have options as to what we eat. So we might uh, have, we might we have different options, so we can say go to the farm market if we think that's wise, or get food that is more whole if we think that's wise. So uh, the particular prescriptions uh, are not completely relevant in the sense of when we're talking here about Dhamma. What's important is get the mind cleaned out 
uh, get the mind into a wholesome state. And then it's up to you what discernments you take. It's up to you what food you take, depending on what wisdom you have, what research you've done, and uh, how you weigh the facts. That's what also, I kind of... Sorry, just, I'll go real quick. Uh, that's what I wanted to connect is because we also can see that if the mind is not clear, then the body cannot, it cannot like process the food. If the mind is stressed, like your body is not going to process the food at all. But it also comes to connect that I don't know. This is just my personal experience. If if I'm at, if if I'm eating, and if I'm eating with wisdom, if I'm eating um, cleaner foods, if I'm if I'm if I'm practicing keeping my body healthy in the correct way, the practice benefits from that. So, but I also seen that way before I got into the practice. So that, that's what I'm trying to 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 correlate these two factors together. Certainly, and um, another uh, uh, point I wanted to mention is this is more of a Western issue as uh, about the healthy food because in Eastern Asian cultures, the, the diet tends to be a little bit more well-balanced, a little bit more healthy. So, um, you know, there's lower rates of obesity in um, Asian countries than there is in Western countries, and that's largely due to the diet so it, it's not it's not it's kind of not as much of an issue if, if in a thai country in thailand as for like the 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 food that the lay people are going to be giving the monks is going to be um in general like more healthy than let's say like burger king or <laughs> mcdonald's um so uh uh so it, it's more of a problem in western countries because of uh, the proliferation of fast food and uh, the popularity of uh, really unhealthy foods. So it's more important, um, I think, for us to to be wise about what we eat because we're not just eating healthy stuff because there's only healthy stuff around or balanced stuff. Um, another thing I wanted to say is, yes, so the the reason for eating healthy food is is different so it's not because we're afraid of dying but uh eating healthy food is uh more conducive to experiencing a happy body or experiencing uh pt and sukha which is um conducive to being satisfied so it's uh directly uh in relation to the the practice of uh coming into comfort and ease and uh, satisfaction um it's directly correlated with that rather than um, uh, being afraid of uh, potential future diseases and being afraid of the body dying is is sort of an ignorant reason to um, make healthy lifestyle choices um, whereas the the reason for healthy lifestyle choices is uh, because it, for the sake of Dukkha Niroda, essentially. How can we uh, eliminate as much Dukkha as possible? So like if you're, like Damarada always says, if you're sitting uncomfortably and your your leg starts to really hurt, um, just sitting through that pain and discomfort is not beneficial. It's not conducive to Sukha. So <laughs> you should seek to adjust the body into a more comfortable position 
the same way we adjust our diet um, into a more um, uh, eating cleaner or more, um, yeah, just more healthy diet for a more healthy body. A more healthy body can experience um, um, more comfort. Uh, but it's it's uh it's more like a supplementary thing to the actual um practice the practice the actual practice is being satisfied uh, irris irrespective irrespective of the state of the body but um certainly um eating unhealthy is not going to provide for you uh it's going to provide unnecessary dukkha. So eliminating un unnecessary dukkha is wise, um, but it's not going to like in and of itself, it's not sufficient to eliminate dukkha period. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was making that connection. Also find it like now that like, it, soon we're not gonna be able to say that like Eastern cultures are more healthy than Western cultures because all the Eastern cultures are catching up in cancer rates and diseases as well as we see the right. Western food getting more popular in those countries. Like Thailand is very popular with like KFC and stuff like that. And yeah, India, so all of be, these uh, places. It's more of a, like a, the more developed the country is. Like it seems like uh, the more developed the country is, the higher obesity rates is. So like the, the, the first world countries, and when as Asian countries start to develop and like fast food chains start to spread out into these countries, we're, we're going to see the same effects. Right. But the, uh, in general, like the traditional um, the, the traditional Asian diet is is pretty well balanced, like uh, got your veggies, got some rice, got some um, uh, usually lower amounts of meat. So not like a, a ton of meat, whereas in America, like or in the West, like it'll be like a ton of meat. <laughs> like a big steak or something whereas it's little bits of meat like mixed in with vegetables and other stuff in uh, asian food um another uh diet that's correlated with uh long lifespan is the the mediterranean diet so that that's a pretty healthy diet and um uh, it consists of like um higher amounts of like seafood rather than red meats. So seafood has different type of fat. It's healthier. It doesn't, doesn't stack up. It doesn't clog arteries as much. So it has more kinks in, in the structure of the fat. Um, so it, it's actually better for you. Uh, but again, um, I think just uh, the main thing with eating is not eating more than you need so um if if you uh are eating as a emotional coping mechanism you're probably going to overeat so if, you, if you're desiring and craving for the food not because your body needs it but because you are trying to distract yourself from uh some inner discomfort this is where um uh it starts to spiral out of control. And so like you're going to be um, snacking to avoid boredom or snacking to avoid this where, or eating, eating, uh, eating 
food and then becoming full and eating more and more of it just because uh, you're you're craving for the, the, the you're craving for it you're craving for the experience of the senses rather than just eating until uh, you're full and then stopping and not eating more than that. Um, and and like I mean, no matter what you eat, if if you if if you eat only when your body what your body actually needs, it's going to be much healthier way of eating and not eating because um, you're trying to cope with some emotions. Well, yeah, that 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 comes back to like. I feel like being intuitive with your body as 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 you as you dive deeper into this, you become more intuitive what your body actually needs. Sometimes it needs a bit more fat, sometimes it needs some sugar, sometimes it needs some water, sometimes it needs something else. And yeah, it's that's that's about it. I just found it interesting how these monks were just dying, and I was like, oh, if they only knew. And I I, I just found it like quite fascinating how like none of them actually took any course of action to change for like 20 30 years the ones that developed disease in later life i i i completely understand but the making of the choice in the present moment i i i, I couldn't understand that because from my i guess that's just from my personal point of view of, of the knowledge that i have now of of of, of this evolved western world of like the medicine and such is really hard to comprehend but who knows back then? What was the reasoning in the case, as you guys said? I thought it was just an interesting topic to to bring up as it correlates. Yeah. Okay, so there's nothing else. I think I'm going to sign off here. It was uh, it was good to see everyone. Um, I think the talk was a little bit uh, morose today, but I think it was still useful. Um, not a lot of people talk about this aspect of uh, the Dhamma, of contemplating um, the repulsiveness of the body, but I think it's uh, a very fruitful and useful practice. Uh, and another toy, another toy to play with. Um, yeah, yeah it's right. a toy to play with, not a job to do. I'm going to head out as yeah. well. It was great seeing All you guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, see you later, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.